0: From Ephesians chapter 1 Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the Saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful to Christ Jesus grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood
1: Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I'm so grateful to you. Lord, thank you that you brought this family back together. Um, Thank you that we get together in this place. Lord, we recognize that we are a family because of you. Lord, you're what unites us, your spirit in us is what brings us together. Lord, Thank you for that you have given us an inheritance. Lord, through what, through what you did when you were on earth, that we now get to commune with the Father through you, Lord. It's, you are so glorious. Lord, um, just prepare our hearts. We ask that um, the word would settle in our hearts and minds and it would bear fruit. Lord, we pray all these things through your spirit who is our guarantee, and we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.
2: One of my favorite quotes is by a guy named Henry David Thoreau, who wrote, sometimes we are made aware of a kindness long since past. We realize that our friends' thoughts of us We're so pure and lofty a character that they floated over us like the winds of heaven unnoticed. And they thought of us not as what we were, but as what we aspired to be. You ever have a friend like that? Someone who knew you so completely, who knew your your biggest failures and failings. They knew you, and yet they loved you anyway. You ever have a friend like that? A friend who began to love you even before you were born or before the foundations of the earth were laid? If you were in Christ, you do. This morning, we're going to begin a series on the book of Ephesians. Uh, It's going to be a 12-week series, and and, uh, we're going to be looking at this this letter that uh, the Apostle Paul writes to uh, some churches in in the, the area of Ephesus and uh, and he wrote it in the in the 60s not that's the 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 60s, not the 1960s, but like 1,960 years ago, 60s, and uh, he wrote it when he was under house arrest. Um, Paul uh, went to Jerusalem knowing that he would be arrested, but because he was a Roman citizen, he had the privilege of going to Rome to await trial to stand before Caesar, and so while he was in Rome, he was under house arrest, and and he was allowed to write letters to the churches that he helped plant and to to encourage them, and and, and what we have in his letters are this richness of, of, of really God's words spoken to us that, that we get to, uh, to, to continue to dive into, but, but, but he could receive visitors and the visitors would come and he would give them these letters and he would, they would take these letters back to the churches that they were intended for. The book of Ephesians is, is really the most ecclesiastic uh, letter in, in the New Testament. It's, it's really about the church. And so if you've ever wondered, what is the church supposed to be about? What is the church? What does it do? Paul answers that question in the book of Ephesians it's all about the church. So, Paul begins his letter, and he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, the, 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 the title of, of this series is, is Ephesians, Christ's New Community, because what we find in a book of, in, of Ephesians is, is because of Jesus, we have been made new in so many different ways. Christ's new community. That's the title of, of this series. And, and, and Paul begins, and there's two things that I want us to, to keep in mind throughout this series as we go through it. The first is the author, and the second is the audience. The author is the Apostle Paul, the Apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So um, the apostle, uh, the role of an apostle was a pretty unique one. Um, they, they, were, they were a group of men who were witnesses to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They served as witnesses in order to communicate what they saw to the world. And what they saw was that the Son of God became man, He became flesh, and He lived this righteous life, and He took that life and He offered it on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, and God the Father raised Him from the dead. So to be an apostle, you had to be a witness to His life, to His death, to His resurrection, to be able to affirm that to the world and to carry that message out to the world. That's what an apostle was. So he was an apostle, but I want you to notice what he says about himself. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. See, most of the apostles, they were just ordinary Joes. They were just regular guys, like fishermen or tax collectors. And Jesus came along one day, and he asked them to to follow him, and and they dropped whatever they were doing, and off they went. But Paul was different. See, Paul was a different kind of apostle because when Jesus got a hold of him, it was actually after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And Jesus makes a special trip to grab hold of this guy, Paul, who was, who was originally named Saul. And see, where Jesus finds Saul, he's on his way to Damascus in order to persecute more followers of Jesus. He was vehemently opposed to Jesus. He was in every way an enemy of Jesus. And that's where Jesus finds him, and that's where Jesus takes him out of. By the will of God, he was an apostle. You see, what Paul would tell us is that it wasn't by my will. I wasn't in pursuit of him. I wasn't on His team, it wasn't by my will, it was by God's will, and it wasn't because I was awesome, it wasn't because I was smart, it wasn't because I was intelligent, It it wasn't because I was very moral, it wasn't because of how great I am, the only reason is because of Him. He chose me to serve Him for His glory, by the will of God, not my will, by the will of God. The other thing we need to see here is that as an apostle, He had the Spirit of God speaking through him. And so the letters that he wrote, many of them, we regard as Scripture. We regard these as the very words of God that have authority over us. The second thing he says, though, is is to his audience, to the saints who were in Ephesus. And because these words are Scripture, it's not just to the saints in Ephesus. It's also to the saints in Beaver Creek, to the saints in Xenia, to the saints in, in, in Cedarville. It's to us. And the reality is, this, for some of you, you might be sitting here this morning and you'd be saying to yourself, I'm not a saint. I don't feel like a holy one. I feel the, 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 the guilt and the shame of my sin. I see what I've done with my life, and I, and I know where I'm at with God right now. And I don't feel holy. I don't feel like a saint. And I want you to know right here this morning that if you are in Jesus Christ, you are. Because it's not about what you've done, it's been what, what he's done for you you are a saint. You are a saint. And so you need to remember that because that is your identity, and when you embrace that as your identity, it's a new way to live. So that's how Paul begins his letter, by the will of God to the saints. He goes on, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the word blessed there, it's, it's where we get the word "eulogize" from. It's to speak well of, to sing uh, the praises of. But I want us to see something about the, these verses here. When Paul begins in verse 3 and he goes all the way to verse 14, in the original language, this is one incredibly long run-on sentence. It, there's no periods, no end to the sentences. Here's what Paul does. He just opens up his mouth and he says, praise be to God because he did this and he did this and he did this and he did this and he did this. He just keeps going on and on and on. One uh, commentator likened it to a snowball tumbling down a hill, picking up volume as it descends. Like my kids would be playing in the backyard and, and something crazy will happen, in, at least in their minds. And they come running into the house at top speed, slamming on the brakes right in front of me. And they're like, eh, our, our neighbor, they, just, they, they shot a deer and, 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 and they're going to they're gonna skin it in the yard and, and, and I think they're going to eat. And I think and they're just going on and on. And I was like, whoa, 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 put a period in there. Like, slow down. Human beings need to hear this, but it's just this what's coming out of Paul, and this is just nothing but praise after praise after praise for what God has done. Praise God for what He's done. This morning, um, we are we're going to see the trinitarian aspect of this passage. We're going to look at that. Um, the, re- the reality is, is, you know, we as as Christians we believe that there is only one God. We believe that there is only one God. God the Father is God, God the Son is God, and God the Spirit is God. One, and yet three. And that's a very difficult concept for us to understand. And the reality is that in church history, because it's been a difficult concept to understand, people have rejected it. And they have this idea that if I can't wrap my mind around it, it must not be true. And see, here's the thing about the doctrine of the Trinity and things like it. Is if you want a God who's small enough to understand you're not going to have a God big enough to worship. The reality is, is, is that people have looked at this doctrine and they've, they've rejected it because, because they, they they can't wrap, wrap their minds around it. And see, that's that's been the, the thing since the very beginning. Where, where Satan, he, he looked at the throne of God and he desired to put his throne over the throne of God. And that following suit, our first parents desired to be like God. That part of what it means to... to To be in this fallen state is that we too, like our first parents, desire to bring God down and elevate ourselves. And so, if we can't understand the Creator, well, it must be wrong. If you have a really small God that you can understand, you're not going to have a God that's big enough to worship. So, there's this Trinitarian aspect that we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to We're going to follow suit with Paul. We're going to praise God in this because that's what this this passage is all about. We have this new praise, but we're going to praise the Father for his election, praise the Son for his redemption, and praise the Spirit for his assurance. We're going to see that in the passage this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. What does that mean, every spiritual blessing? means we've been made new. Simply put, we have a new identity, we have a new purpose, we have a new king, we have a new kingdom, we're longing for a new restoration, that everything is going to be made new because of who he is and what he has done for us. And that leads us this morning to a new praise. So let's dive in, verse 4 and 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Well, now we've stepped in it, haven't we? There's there's those words. Shows us, predestined us. What do we do with that? Ephesians is a book about, it's about unity, right? It, it, it's about how, because of Jesus, we have this relationship with God. We're, we're, we're united with God, and, and, and I'm adopted, and, and if you're united with God, then you're adopted too. That means that you're my brother, and you're my sister, and the dividing walls between us, they come tumbling down. This is about, it's about unity, and we're all in one body with Christ as the head, this, this oneness that we have, this unity that we have, and yet here we see in verses three and four words that have been the source of so much disunity for hundreds of years. We want to go there. What do we do with this? And so we have some options this morning. See, the first thing we, we, we might do is we might just close the book, take a step back, and just pretend like we didn't see this. We, we could we you know later on today somebody asks you, hey, uh, what did they talk about at church today? You say, well, uh, John three sixteen, it's all about love. Don't, don't don't tell them it was about predestination or election or chosen. No, don't 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 go there. We could pretend like we we didn't see this and we could just decide, maybe the book of Ephesians isn't for us to study. Second thing we could do is we could take out our sharpies and we could black out those words. Chose us, predestined us. We could could make those disappear. We could take out a highlighter and we could highlight love and heavenly blessings. We could do all that. Maybe we shouldn't do that either, though. Third thing we could do is we could say, you know what? This was written like 2,000 years ago, right? It's so out of date, right? The context has changed. I mean, it was written in, in, in Greek. Like, it's like I, you know, I bet that if we were to dive in, and we, we, I bet we would find out that Paul actually didn't mean choose. He, he didn't mean this. So let's consult the Greek. What do the, what do the masters say? Verse 4, the verb, he chose us, is the Greek word exelexato which is the aorist form of eklegomai, and it means chose out of. Okay. From this verb, we have the, 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 the noun ekloge, and that means the choice or election. We also have the, the adjectival noun, eklektos, and that means uh, chosen out. But, but it's spoken in the middle voice, meaning that it's God's own decision. So what Paul says and what Paul means is that at a particular time in the past before the foundation of the world God chose us to be holy. What Paul said is we have a good translation, I guess. That's like, what he means. What do we do with that? See, if we are going to be a biblically formed people we can, we can choose not to ignore not to erase Not to reject, but to submit. See, that's the choice. We could either come over the Scripture and say, I will define it. I will interpret it. Or we can come under it and say, I will let it determine me and let it define me. To come underneath the authority of God's Word. See, these words are God's words. They're not man's. The the words predestination, election, God choosing, these aren't words coined by John Calvin. These are biblical words. These are words we find in Matthew. Jesus talked about them in Matthew 24 and Luke 18, the writer of Acts, Acts 4. Paul, several times outside of Ephesians, Romans 8, Romans 9, 2 Timothy 2. The brother of Jesus, James, and James 2, the apostle Peter, 1 Peter 1, 2 and 20. This these are biblical terms. So what do we do with them? See, the thing is, is, and to Paul, there isn't alarms going off in his head like there are for many of you right now. When he uses these words, he doesn't think about disunity. He doesn't think about arguments and, and schisms within the church. To Paul, he's like, this is for the praise of God. God chose us, and that's amazing. Paul doesn't see disunity here. He says unity. Hopefully, we'll see the same. Now, something that uh, I want to note here, uh, that this is a conversation for believers to have. When you get to the how of salvation, you first have to have tackled the why of salvation. You know, Paul dives into to this topic in, in the book of Romans, but he doesn't talk about it until Romans 8. Before Romans 8, he talks about sin. Romans 3:23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5:8. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, if you're here today and you would say, you know, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I have questions about this. I was drugged here by a friend or by my spouse. Or, you know, I, 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 I'm not a Christian yet. And as far as this whole predestination thing goes, I don't know. Like, whatever. But, but, but here's the thing it's, that, that's the how. And you don't worry about the how until you worry about the why. And if you're here this morning and you would say, there is something wrong that I know that there's something wrong in my heart. I know that I have rebelled against God. I know that he is supposed to be my, my, my ruler, my Lord, my God. I'm supposed to bend the knee to him, but instead I have chosen my own life and I've chosen to reject him in many ways. I may have been made to reflect accurately to the world who he is, but I want to reflect myself and I know that there's something wrong in me. And I want and I need a savior. You see, the, the door to salvation begins that way, where you recognize that, that there is a need. And then you find out that there's a way, that there's a God who loves you. And then that there's a, a Savior who died for you. And you begin to believe in Him and embrace Him. And you go toward this, this door of salvation. And over this door of salvation are the words, Whosoever will come, and you will. And so you come. But after walking through that door, you turn around and look above it and you see another verse. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You see, here's where the rebuttal generally is. Well, if God elected me for salvation and he chose others for damnation, that isn't fair or just, and I can't believe that a that God that's not fair or just. So here's where we're going to come back to that, that truth. A God that's small enough for you to understand is not going to be a God that's big enough for you to worship. And there are going to be things about God that you're not going to be able to wrap your mind around, and are you okay with that? The question isn't about God's justice. God has proven his justice over and over again. That's not even on the table. You see, in the one hand, what we have is the sovereignty of God over all things, including salvation, but on the other hand, we do have choice. And we are responsible for choice. Choice as our parents were in the garden. And there's these two things that we have to hold in tension with each other. We see them clearly, actually, in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. The, the apostle Peter is giving this, this sermon, and he says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying that the Trinity got together, and this is his definite plan that God came up with to send his son into the world to take on flesh, to live a holy and righteous life that you couldn't live in order to offer that life on the cross as a substitute for your sins and that in that the wrath of God would be satisfied. This is the plan of God, but you killed him and you're culpable. See, there's these two truths at work here, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man and try as you might, you're not going to be able to reconcile them. Charles Spurgeon was asked how he reconciled them, and his response was, I never reconcile two friends. You don't reconcile things that don't need to be reconciled. Another pastor said, when it comes to this this problem, he says, it's not my problem. It's God's problem, and to God, it's not a problem. Salvation is election and faith in the same sentence, but it's only a sentence that God could write. The question isn't, will you believe in a God who isn't just? The question is, will you believe in a God you don't completely understand? Because this election is mysterious. It holds a paradox. And from a human standpoint, it doesn't make sense. It's difficult for finite creatures with three-pound fallen brains to comprehend. You see, a God that's small enough to comprehend is not going to be a God that's big enough to worship. Now, that doesn't mean that we check our brains at the door. And for a lot of people who have adopted this doctrine, they have checked their brains at the door. I want to talk about three lies that you can believe By embracing this falsely, first is that election is not an excuse for sin. We're here to praise God this morning, but it's not, praise God, I can live however I want. That He chose you before the foundations of the world doesn't mean that you're a spoiled brat who gets a blank check by daddy to do and live however you want. That's not what it means. Look at what Paul says in verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. God is concerned about your holiness. And see, in Christ Jesus, positionally, you are holy. Positionally, you are righteous because of what he has done for you. When God the Father looks at you, he sees his righteousness. He sees his Son's righteousness in you. But the Holy Spirit that we're going to talk about in a minute lives in you and is transforming you from the inside out, sanctifying you, making you actually righteous and holy and blameless. That is happening. God's purpose is your holiness, it is your highest good. And those who love you want your highest good. The second thing we need to understand is that this election doesn't mean you don't evangelize. It's not, praise God, I have no responsibility now. Verse 5, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. There's a purpose. Verse 10, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You see, through Jesus Christ, he is redeeming the world unto himself, and he calls us to participate in that redemption. And that's why throughout the, whole, the, the New Testament, we see words like, go, proclaim, be sent. We are called. To proclaim the good news of who Jesus is, we are not let off the hook. We have responsibility. Yes, God is sovereign over salvation, but we are responsible to him. It's a beautiful thing to be made a part of God's plan. Lastly, election doesn't mean arrogance and pride. It's not praise God, I'm not like those other people. Praise God that I am enlightened to this doctrine. See, I recognize that there are some of you in this room who you're not in this camp. And you may have had people who are in this camp beat you over the head with the doctrine of election. Who may have called your faith into question and may have told you that you are not truly saved because you haven't held to this. This is the how of salvation, it's not the why. This is not an excuse to be prideful or arrogant. You see, the doctrine of the election should drive us to our knees. That God would choose me. If you know what I've done... Have you seen what was in my heart? That he, knowing every detail about my life and what I've done and what I will do and how I've failed and how I will fail, and yet he chose me. This doesn't make me prideful, it makes me humble. There's no way that I can use this to, to bash anybody over the head. You see, it makes me realize that that on the one hand, he's a God I can't fully understand. He's a God I can't fully comprehend. He's not small enough for me to comprehend, but he's big enough for me to worship. And see, the reality is that when I look at at you and when I look at people who are outside of the faith, I have to look at them like I don't get to choose for you. Thank God. And so I'm just going to operate under the assumption that God has chosen you and I'm going to treat you accordingly because that's on him. And for those of you who have been wounded and injured by people in the election camp, forgiveness. That is not the heart of God. And to be honest, that's